If you're joining us, we're in a series on love. And I'm not sure if we have the, the image. Most of the time I let Chris and Amy and Demoris, I let them work on the graphics. But this is my graphic for this series. Because it, it needed to come from my heart and you needed to know where I'm, I'm headed. And so I went to the store and I picked up a, a card, a Valentine's Day card. Because Valentine's Day is on the way, right? And I took that card, and Chris and I went outside. It was raining, and we looked for grease and mud, and we covered the card, and, and then we took the card, and we, we crumbled it up, and we tore it, and then we, we took little Cupid right there. You can't see that, but he's on the front. We took little Cupid, and we made sure he was good and dirty, because this ain't a Cupid kind of love I'm preaching about. This is a... Uh, a God-like, Jesus-like, self-sacrificing kind of love. It's muddy and it's dirty and it's painful. It'll feel like your heart's getting ripped out sometimes. And then we, we set it on fire. If you look at the corners, we, we, we set it on fire and let it, let it burn a little bit because, you know, sometimes love, when you're in love, it feels like your heart's on fire and then sometimes it feels like you're really being burned. And uh, we got it into the water and we got it wet and soggy. And then we threw it down on the, the pavement out there. And then we took a picture of it. But before we took a picture, I wrote this. And so part of it is it I wrote in that part that says still. And it says, you can still count on having me around. <laughs> that's, the, that's the kind of love that, that Jesus demonstrates to us. We do all those things to him. And somehow he writes on our heart. You can still count on having me around. I'm not going anywhere. You can't run me off. Ah, isn't that good to know? If you've ever been in a spot, that's good news. Yeah. And so I, I, I want you to know what kind of love I'm talking about. It's a, it's a love that I'm still trying to figure out because it's unworldly. It is supernatural. I can't look in the natural and see too much of it sometimes, but I believe that God is actually calling us to look at this Christ kind of love and then demonstrate it here on earth. But it'll be a supernatural work. You can't do it in your flesh. Amen. Can I go and tell you, you can't do it in your flesh. There ain't enough of you to, to pull this off. And so uh, we're going to do something. We did it last week, and I need somebody who's bold and courageous. And so, Miss Pat, I want to know if you will read. 1 Corinthians 13. You can either read it from yours or I've got mine open. Either way. Whichever one you want. By the way, I challenge you, and I'm challenging my, myself, that I would memorize 1 Corinthians 13, the entire chapter. At one time in my life, I actually had it memorized. I had memorized the whole chapter, but I don't know if your mind works like mine or not. Sometimes when I don't use something, I don't keep repeating it, I'll, I'll lose it. But I believe what God is telling me is, Kevin, you can't afford to lose 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> you, you need to memorize it and, and use it. So I want to challenge some of you, if you've never memorized Scripture, I know it's a leap to go from memorizing a verse to memorizing an entire chapter, but I'll, I'll issue that challenge and I'll walk it out with you. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. And I show you a still more excellent way. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I have nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag. And it's not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I always have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The last week, if you were not here, you can find that message on our website. You can find it if you are following us as a podcast. You can find it there, Facebook Live. But I preached a message about love covering a multitude of sin. And I talked about how we had to dig past the, the dirt in people's lives in order to find the, the gems. And if we ever become those who are seeking for dirt, then you'll never find, uh, you'll never find want. You'll always find dirt. If you, if you look far enough, you'll find dirt if that's what you're looking for. But if you choose to be like Christ, you'll look past that dirt and you'll try to find the gems in people's lives. I think there's something inside of us that says, yeah, I, I need that. I hope he will look past some of my, my things, my sin, my imperfections, whatever it may be, and, and, and love me. But now, I, I told you, even in the midst of that message, I said, you got to come back next week for the disclaimer. It's kind of like the, the medicine commercials. Have you seen those on television where they tell you what everything's going to do and then the final minute is what it's going to do to you uh, adversely? And so there's the disclaimer. And so I, I know in many of your hearts you are questioning, does love really cover? Does it cover everything? And is my love, am I supposed to cover everything? Is that even a good idea? And I will tell you that I have looked one more time just to make sure. And 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things. That word bears all things in the Greek. I won't give you the Greek word, but it means to, to cover in silence. Oh. And then I took you over to, to 1 Peter chapter 4. I took you over to verse 8 and it said, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sin. But I know in your mind, and it's the same as me, you're asking, but will love cover? And then you think of something, right? 
Will, will love cover this? And will, will love cover that? The insurance companies have got to be laughing at us right now. Chris and I were sitting, sitting down at the end of this last year, and we were looking over finances, and we were looking over insurance, and I said, Chris, do we have the right amount of coverage? And what I was wanting him to tell me was, Kevin, it's all, everything's covered. Don't worry about it. That's what I wanted, right? Now, if you're in a position of needing coverage, you want to hear it's all covered, right? But most of us have seen the insurance binder before, and you never read it, right? Yeah, the binder, I think, tells you what it covers and what it doesn't cover. But what Chris told me was this, and it's absolutely true. He said, Kevin, we don't really know until something happens. <laughs> and then we'll see if it's covered. I said, oh, wow. Okay. All right, but, and, and then I'm, I'm, like, but I'm like, but Chris, please, just tell me, is it, are we covered? I just want to know, is it covered? And I have found that in our individual lives, when we sin, we go to God and we say, oh, I hope it's covered. Oh, you know, this accident that I've been in, right? <laughs> this, this accidental sin. Somebody's talked about accidental sin. I said, I don't know about accidental sin. Most of the sin I've committed, if not all of it, I intended to do it. <laughs> it wasn't an accident. I meant to. But I go to God and I'm like, is it covered? Is it covered? And Scripture tells me, guess what? I got good news for you. It's covered. There is not a sin that you can sin that there is not superabounding grace to cover that sin. But when we look at other people and the things that they have done to us and the things that they have done to people we love, the question comes to us, I'm not even sure I want it to cover. You see where I'm going? I'm not even sure I want love to cover that. I, in that situation, I think they need to be called out. I think they need to be punished. I think something needs to be done. I don't think it ought to be covered. And so before I get into my disclaimer, that's the disclaimer for the disclaimer. We have to check our heart and our motives. And the real question is not this. I've told you before, if you ask the wrong question, you will get the wrong answer. The question is not, does God cover sin? Yes, He does. That's a finished work of the cross. That's settled. That is not up for debate. But the real question is this. What would love do? That's what you have to ask yourself of that person or that situation that has harmed you. Harmed you in a way that is deeper than anyone will ever know. I want you to know I'm not taking this lightly, okay? Hurt you worse than anybody will ever truly be able to know. The question is not does love cover that sin. The question is what will love do in that situation? And so I came up with a few things. I can give you three, and I think we can take that principle and then we can begin to work it out. The first one I think is fairly easy. If you find out that somebody has murdered someone else, we don't simply ignore that, do we? Because there's something inside of us that knows we have to protect those who are innocent. 
And if a person has murdered one person, it is likely that they will murder again. And so what will love do? Love protects those who are innocent from the one who wants to do harm. Let me give you another one. Abuse. And it comes in all flavors, doesn't it? There's, there's physical abuse. Let me tell you, men, there is no reason for a man to ever put his hands on a woman. Amen. Simply is unacceptable. Yeah. In, in the age in which we live, I need to say this too. Women, I don't think you should put your hands on a man. Amen. Right? What would love do? Love would keep your hands off of each other. That's what love would do. Love would keep your hands off of, of each other. But it's not just physical abuse. There's emotional abuse. That's some of the hardest to find, right? That's one of the hardest of these. When, when you've been emotionally abused, mentally you've, you've been abused. But I will tell you this. Love does not cover that up. Covering sin is not a cover-up. I need to make sure you understand that's what I'm saying. Because we have a responsibility. Love protects those who are innocent. Can I say that again? Because I want to be super clear about this thing. Love protects the innocent. And so love does not let people go around abusing each other physically, emotionally, or sexually. It's simply not appropriate. It is not right. There is a, a legal obligation for us to protect those who are innocent. It, there is a, a something about our conscience that says we have to make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen. And then there are predators. You ever met a predator? A predator is somebody that takes advantage of others. They can do that sexually. They can do that financially. They can do that in, in just uh, controlling people. You will find them in all kinds of places. You will even find them in a the church. Because a predator hangs out where there are folks who are easy prey. And because of our forgiving nature, you need to understand, it actually does make us pray. Because people will take advantage of the love that we give. But those things, they, they are to be, people are to be protected, and the victim is not to be blamed. I need to be clear about that too. We don't run around blaming people and say, well, you know what, if you hadn't said what you said, that wouldn't have happened. Or if you hadn't done what you did. Or if you hadn't wore what you wore. Or any of those things. You know where I'm going, right? Yes. And, and we, do not, we do not blame the victim. Love doesn't cover those things up. Love says, what must I do in each one of those situations? And so I will tell you as a pastor that I have stood on both ends of literally everything I have just mentioned to you. I have stood across with a, con uh, it's not convicted yet, a charged murderer. And I've put my hand on that glass and I have talked to them through that little phone that you have. Because I believe that love has a responsibility to the person on the other side of the glass, the murderer. Because if you or your child was in that situation, you would want to know that some hand would reach and at least touch the glass. So I've been on that side of things. But I've also been on the side of a woman who has lost her child and she ain't never coming back. 
This ain't one of them happy sermons where we're going to all sing Kumbaya and Jesus loves me. At least not to begin with, okay? So there is a responsibility to that woman too who has lost that child and she's not ever coming back. But what love does not do is say that love covers one and not the other because love covers both. That's the amazing nature of the love of God is that it has a solution and an answer for both sides. It has an answer for the one who has been an abuser. And that's why Scripture tells us to speak truth in love. And so, as I've had my hand across that glass, and as I have held the hand of a one who has been murdered, as I have held the hand of one who was abused and then turned around and did the exact same thing, as I have held the hands of a predator and said, you've got to quit. And I've held the hand of the one who was their prey and said, we've got to heal you and protect you and get you back to life. That's what love does. Love says, what does love do in that particular situation? Not, is anyone exempt? And so love seeks to restore. Love is always trying to restore. It's trying to restore the broken, the wounded, the hurt. It's always trying to restore. And it used to be that as Christians, we were the one who were called judgmental and mean. And now, I look at you, and I'll look into that camera, and I will face the world and say the world has gotten mean and judgmental, and it can no longer say the church is the only one that's mean and judgmental. We've all, our culture has gotten mean and judgmental. It has lost because we have departed from God. Because we've turned from Him. And we don't know what love looks like anymore. It looks like all kinds of deviant things. We don't know what it looks like. We've become judgmental because that's the result of our not loving. So we got to get back to a place where love restores and it restores on both ends. And so we use truth and we use it in love. James chapter 5 verse 20. It says this. That there is a, a great benefit of turning people from their sins. So for that person who has done wrong to others, I believe James chapter 5 comes into effect. It says this in verse 19. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will, there it is, cover a multitude of sin. That's what love does. Love goes with truth. It goes with the truth of God's Word. And it, and it tells a person to turn from the sin that is in their life. So I would speak to anyone who is taking advantage of, of anyone. And we're on Facebook, so maybe I can reach the right person. And I will tell you that if you're abusing and if you're a predator, you need to stop. The love of God, you need to stop. And you need to receive the restorative nature of the love of God into your life. Because here's what happens. There's sin talked about in Scripture. There's transgression talked about in Scripture. And there's iniquity. And it seems that as we begin to sin, you know, that first time, well, hmm. But that second time, right? And that third time? And that fourth time? To where now it wasn't an accident. We can't call it an accident anymore. Now it's, it's a behavior. It's a behavior. 
And then that behavior can get worse to which now you don't even receive correction on it anymore. That's the case. I told you a, a while back, I preached a message and I used it. I'm going to use it again. Most of you have not heard it. I had a friend years ago and he and his children got out of a car. And as they got out of a car, there was a dog. And I don't remember if the dog was rabid or not, but the dog attacked his kids. Now, mom and daddy, what you going to do when a dog attacks your kids? You're going to become Marvel. <laughs> you're going to find your superhuman power. And you, you don't care how big the dog's teeth are. And you don't care how big the dog is. That dog's going to die. So what does this father do? He runs and he goes after the dog. And I said, if you could picture his children, if they could see the eyes of his father when he is running, he's running right at them. And you might think, oh, daddy's coming with fire in his eyes. And he is. But he ain't coming with fire in his eyes for the child. He's coming with fire in his eyes for the dog. And he will do whatever it takes to get that dog off of his kids. This father actually found a shovel <laughs> and started beating the dog off with a shovel until he left him. And he had the bites and stuff on his arm. And the point that I made then is the point that I will make now. When you first start sinning, you ain't the dog. Actually, what happens is when you see God coming, when you see Jesus, He is coming with fire in His eyes, but He's trying to stop you. But if you keep going, you can turn into the dog. Now you're the one that's hurting children. You're the one that's hurting adults. You're the one that's hurting people. That's the part that is dangerous because at that point when Jesus comes with fire in His eyes, He is coming for you. So I would say, allow the fire of God to restore you right now. And if you have been harmed from that, I think the church does a beautiful job of restoring those who are broken because we hold the keys to the love of God that does that work inside of us. Now what happens to second category? What happens when people are enabling? Can we talk about enabling for a moment? <laughs> What does love do when someone continues to need more and more of your time and your money and your couch and for you to get them out of a jam just one more time, right, just one more time, when they need transportation or they need you to trust them just one more time because they got it all figured out this time. And so what happens is it begins to create this weird relationship. If you've ever been in one, you know the kind of weird relationship that it creates, right? And I want to tell you that enabling, this sounds so trite, but you'll remember it. Remember this, enabling disables. Enabling disables. So if you were to ask yourself, what would love do? I would tell you that love does not enable even the one that you're thinking about. <laughs> yes, that one. Love does not enable that one. Because it creates this weird thing where you've got one person 
who is having to manipulate circumstances and situations to get what they need in that moment. And, and some of us have been there, so we know what it's like, right? You've lied, you've cheated, you've done all kinds of things because you, you needed a place to stay that night. You needed a little bit of money, whatever it might be. And, and so it creates this weird sense that you know inside of you that you're not free because you're depending upon other people and you're having to manipulate them in order to, to get what you need. But now it creates another situation for those who are giving of their time and their money and their couch and their trust and bailing them out of a jam again. Because I bet if there's any of you in the room right now, you're pretty frustrated, aren't you? And in fact, you're growing a little bit bitter inside. Because that's what enabling does. It's a, it's a relationship that is not built on love. And so one person is taking advantage to try to get what they want. And the other person then begins to use their giving as a way to control the one that they're giving to. You ever seen that side of it? You know, you helped out, Mama. You helped out, Daddy. You helped out, friend. And now you think that you've bought yourself the opportunity to, to control them, to tell them how to live their life. And now they hate it because they don't want your advice. There's a scripture in Matthew 7, verse 6, that we're warned. It says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Which means that there are times you might have good advice, but one, you got to check and make sure you're doing it in the right heart. Because if you're not doing it in the right heart, that thing's going to come off, just like it said in 1 Corinthians 13, it'll be like a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Because what you really want to do is not change them, you're frustrated and, and you're trying to control them. So what then has to happen to the one who has been enabled? You have to face some of the consequences of your own sin. You say, would love do that? Have you ever noticed that when you start sinning, that Jesus lets you do what you want to do? Have you ever noticed that? Like there are times that situations and circumstances stop you from doing what you wanted to do. But most of the time, Jesus lets you do what you wanted to do. You know why? Because Jesus is big into freedom. And He knows that love can't exist without freedom. And so you have to be able to choose what you do in life. So He lets you choose. Now for some of you, you are mad at God because after you did what you wanted to do and you made a mess... See, I thought maybe that wasn't going to apply to anybody, but you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Huh? That you go running to God and say, God, I need you to cover this because you said you would in your word. You said you cover a multitude of sin. God, I need you to take away all of the consequences of my actions. And Jesus says, not, God says, the Father says, not, can't do it because that ain't love. Did you hear that? He says, no, I can't, because that's not love. If I keep covering you on the consequences of your sin, you're going to keep doing it. 
and you're going to hurt yourself, and I love you too much for that, and you're going to hurt other people that I love, and so no, I can't cover it. You're going to face it this time. Mamas and daddies, sometimes you got to look at your kids and go, you know what, nope, today you're going to jail. Today you're going to jail. No, today you can't use my couch. In fact, you can't ever use my couch again. Because I love you so much that you have to, to grow up. And you've got to learn how to do this thing on your own. And mama and daddy, it'll be the most painful thing you have ever had to do. I know a mama who would go and pay a child's drug bill. Would track down drug dealers. Can you imagine what this mama is doing in those places? Why do you think she did it? Because she thought that was love. But that ain't love. Because at some point, we've got to love like Christ. And He says, I love you, but in this case, you have to face the consequences of what you've done so that you will grow up. Now, I will be loving you the entire way. And I will be with you and pulling for you the entire way. But I cannot be an accessory to your murder. That's what I told you the title of the message was, wasn't it? I said, I, we, I will not be. I will not be an accessory to your murder. I had to look a person in the eye one time and say, I love you. I will be here for you, but I'm not going to help you kill yourself. So, love does not enable. And that's why it's hard. And then I want to talk to, to you, any of you, who you have given your time, and you've given your money, and you've given your couch, and you have trusted. You've trusted again. You have bailed people out of situations. And it seems like that you don't know how to say no. It's like no is not in your vocabulary. That if you ever told anybody no, you were doing something wrong. And when they looked at you and they went, huh? You ever had that look? When you, when you did try to tell somebody no and they went, what? Kind of like your kids, right? But adults do it too. You know, our kids are like, no. No. What, you, you, just, you, you just told me No. And then, and then that pressure of them looking at us and we're like, no, I didn't say no. I meant like not right now, but now I'm ready. And, and, and the answer is yes. What do you need? Can I tell you that you will end up killing yourself? You will end up becoming so bitter over what you're doing and what you're giving that you will feel like you are dying. So I want to speak to you for a minute and say that as much as we do not want to be an accessory to the murders of those out there, don't be an accessory to your own murder. Don't, don't end up killing yourself because you simply, you can't say no. You know deep down inside of you that the only reason you're doing it is because you feel coerced and manipulated. You didn't want to do it. You ever done that? The guy that sits out on the road and he has that sign and he says that he's homeless and he just needs money. And you gave him money. But you didn't do it because you wanted to. 
You did it because you don't know how to say no to anything. And when you pulled off, you weren't happy about it. You were mad about it because you're like, doggone it, that was my last money. Now i got to go back to the ATM. And so you're, you're not happy. So I want to tell you that what you begin to do in life is you have to learn to set the proper boundaries for yourself. And I can tell you that that is biblical because if you look at Jesus, nobody made Him do anything. Look at His life. No one makes Jesus do anything. When He does it, He does it because He wants to. Now there are people in Scripture that they change His mind. His mama says, Jesus, stay out of wine. And He says, well, what do you want me to do about it? This is not my time. And she says, son. And he looks at the father. And he says, okay. But he's perfectly good in the doing of it. He doesn't walk away going, ah, never should have made that water into wine down there at Cana. Man, bunch of drunks. <laughs> He never, he never looks at Mary and Martha and they say, you got to come, you got to come. Lazarus, Lazarus is sick. He, he, he doesn't say, I don't want to come. It's going to be better if you'll just wait. And they're like, no, we can't wait. He says, okay, I, it was going to be a great miracle, but now it's going to be a kind of good miracle because I can't tell you. He says, no, I'm not coming. And they walk away going, I thought we were friends. He ain't coming. You know why? Because when Jesus ministers, He ministers because that's the will of God for His life. And He is not moved by the people around Him. He's moved by the will of God for His life. To the point that it takes Him to the cross where He is not killed. He is not murdered. Make no mistake. He gives His life away. And I will tell you that if you are given out of guilt or coercion or manipulation, you ought to stop. Because when you die and go to heaven and start looking for the crowns for that, there ain't going to be none. Ain't going to be none. Because you did it for all the wrong reasons. And you're like, well, people going to think we mean. No, you need to live out of the center of who you are. And if you're selfish, then you'll find out you're selfish. If you're generous, you'll find out you're generous. And you'll give when you feel like you're supposed to. So we do not help people in sin and we don't cover it up. We speak truth and we speak it in love. We try to change the people who are in the error of their ways. But let me just give one more. This is a message full of disclaimers. <laughs> you know this to be true. No one cares what you know until they know that you care about them. So you don't have an introduction. Don't think just because you read your Bible and you got a cool verse that you want to share with somebody that you're going to run test drive it on somebody. No, you need to test drive it on yourself first. And then when you go, you need to go knowing that you're going in love because your heart breaks for the one that you're going for. That you're doing it because you love them, not because you got a cool verse. Or not because you're mad. By the way, don't go when you're mad. Don't go when you're mad. You're just going to make it worse. So when your heart is right, you begin to speak truth and love. But then you have to realize that not everyone is going to turn. 
Some people are going to continue to do what they do. And then you will have to ask yourself, well, then what does love do in that situation? What am I to do? And I know that what most of us want, because I wanted it too, is you want a formula. You're like, I need a formula so I can put my situation in at the top and I can work the formula. And, and I want to work it biblically, Kevin, you know? I, I want the formulas, the verses where I can work this thing that pops out at the end, do this, right? We want a formula. Can I tell you that there are very few places in Scripture where there are ever formulas? You know why? Because if you got a formula, you'd run off and run your formula on everybody you knew, and you would never encounter God in a relationship. He hid the formula because He wants you to seek Him. To ask Him, God, in this situation, what should I do? God, what is your heart in this situation? What would you do? So I'll tell you this, when you go down this road, and many of you know, you've, you've been doing this, you're going to hit the gutters sometimes, aren't you? Any of you ever hit the gutters? You, you ran over here and you helped and you helped and you helped and you got mad and it didn't help the other person and you ended up getting all muddy and dirty. And you went, oh, I went too far. You say, okay, I'm going to fix that. And then you, no, 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 no. And you run off in this gutter. And you go, man, that ain't right either. And then you move on and you try something else in life. And, and you have to work these principles out in real life. There are no formulas. It is hard work. It is dirty. You will make some mistakes. But you will grow from it if you will keep pursuing God. So I want to end with this, and I don't know what time it was, because I was getting ready to put my phone out, and God said, would you just preach until you're done? <laughs> and try to use every word to speak what God wants me to speak today. I want to tell you about three people, and I'll end with that. James, the writer, who said, let him, who, uh, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sin. Can I tell you something about James? James was called James the Just, and they took him up on the temple. They took him up high upon the temple. This is the tradition of the church. It's not found in Scripture. So it, it, we just have to assume that history wrote it right. They took him up there, and he testified about Jesus Christ, and they were so mad that they threw him off the temple. But he didn't die. In fact, he got up and he raised his head toward heaven and he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very one who said that turning a sinner from the errors of the ways covers a multitude of sin, looks at those who kill him because they don't like his gospel, throw him off this cliff and he has one last moment left. And what does he do? He looks up toward heaven and he says, Father, forgive them covered their sin with his forgiveness. Paul, the writer of 1 Corinthians 13, he wasn't always Paul. His name was Saul. And he was standing one day when they killed a man named Stephen. And they stoned him, this Stephen. And it says that Saul was the one that held their garments while they did their work. And Stephen gave his life 
And what did he say in Acts? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. As he's dying, he's looking up toward heaven and he's saying, Lord, don't hold this against them. Now many of those people never came to know Christ, but that guy holding the garment, Saul, became Paul. And I wonder if it wasn't just the road to Emmaus, but if it was watching somebody who said, rather than protect myself in this situation, rather than be inconvenienced, I will give my life away. Stephen gave his life away that day. Nobody took it. He willingly did it. They said that he like glowed when he looks toward heaven. He's got heaven. He's looking into heaven. Why? Because he gave his life away. Did he know that in giving his life away, what would happen? No. You don't know what's going to happen when you forgive. You don't know what happens when you give again. You don't know. What am I saying? You should only give your money or your life when you choose to. Which comes from Jesus who is hanging on a cross. And you remember what he did? He looked down. And he said, Father, what? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And so he, he forgives. And so we look at every situation and we say, what would love do? What would love do? What would love do? And then we live out of this person that we are. So then when somebody says, why did you do that? You say, because that's who I am. I give money because that's who I am. I give my house because that's who I am. Nobody made me do anything. I did it because the Father said that somebody had need of it. And I willingly gave it. To the extent, it never seems to even happen in America but it could come to one day when somebody would say, Do you, uh, are, are you going to deny Christ and live or confirm Christ and die? And then we'd have to make that decision. Most of us are waiting on that day, and every day we're messing up. We're messing up. We're messing up. Because we're not asking, what would love do? We all want to give ourselves in that big moment. That, that, that moment where everybody's going to say, I can't believe you did that. You will work out your nature in those thousands of decisions that nobody even knows what you did. That's where you'll develop your character. That's where you'll develop the nature of who you are. And so here's what I want to ask. I want to ask the praise team to come. And that, that song that y'all sang, I think it's Great Is Your Love. That may not be the name of it. I want you to play that. And I want you guys to do a little soul searching. If you know that someone is being injured because of someone else's activity, then I'm going to ask you to be bold and courageous and protect those who are innocent. If you need to stop doing something, I'm going to ask you to stop right now before you become the dog. If you need to stop enabling but keep loving, now's your chance to settle that in your heart. 
If you've been taken and taken and taken and using people, I'm going to ask you to grow up and be free. And if you have had a real tough time saying no, because you fall to manipulation and coercion, I'm going to ask you to find the true nature of Christ inside of you and live out of that. And to know that there are no formulas. <laughs> you may make some mistakes along the way. You know what you do when you make a mistake? You say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you start again. Some of you maybe need to say, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. God, forgive me. He'll cover it with His blood. And then you start again.